everybody, this is James. Thanks for listening to Around Grandfather Fire. Uh, I was contacted by a friend of ours, Amy Brown, uh, who is our friend on Facebook, Intuitive Readings by Amy, and she has been watching a show that's called Kentucky Ayahuasca, which I haven't seen yet. I don't think Sarenth has either, but she remembered we had an episode of The Jaguar and the Owl where we interviewed Raven Renee Ray of the Aftercare Project, who specialized in ayahuasca. So I came home this evening and I dug up that episode and I'm giving it to you right now as a special bonus. Once again, thanks for listening to Around Grandfather Fire. Make sure you support us and share the show. Tell your friends about it. And uh, we've got some really great guests coming up. So you'll have some new episodes coming up from us really soon. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of the Jaguar and the Owl, coming to you from The Wandering Owl in Jackson, Michigan. I am your host, James Stovall, known to some as Two Snakes and to others as Shaman Jim, joined tonight by my good friend and co-host, Sarenth Odinson. We're not going to spend a lot of time tonight opening the show because we want to get right into our great interview. I just want to say, if you like this show, make sure you share it with a friend. And also to support us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash J Stovall, S-T-O-V-A-L-L, and you can sign up to be a supporter of this show. And with that, let's roll into our interview. So Sarah and I make no bones about it. We are kind of, uh, well, we're drum shaman. And in our experience, there's been two different ways to experience the, the really intense altered states. And one of those tends to be with drums and trance, and another one tends to be with plant spirit helpers. And one that's come up a lot lately is ayahuasca. Ayahuasca seems to be the one that everybody wants to talk about with the plant spirit helpers. And so Sarah and I started looking around and thinking to ourselves, who could we talk to that is really going to help us define the use of ayahuasca well and where it's going, the things that are happening in the world that involve this really intriguing plant spirit helper. And in that process of looking around, I discovered the Aftercare Project, which is a really cool website and Facebook page and group that's working on 
bringing people together with the understanding of ayahuasca and how to find the better practitioners. And as the name implies, helping people that have had experiences, good and bad, with the ongoing process of integrating those experiences. And so with that, I would like to welcome the director of the Aftercare Project, Raven Renee Ray. Hey, Raven, how are you doing tonight? Wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me here, Miss Pace. So did I, did I cover that t- opening fairly well then? You did, yeah. So basically the Aftercare Project was, um, well, for me, it was sparked by uh, my first trip down to the Amazon, which was in 2012. Um, I, maybe like others, uh, learned about it through media, uh, National Geographic episode, and watched it once. It scared the crap out of me, and then I watched it a second time and decided, took a deep, deep breath, deep breath, <laughs> and decided that I wanted to go check it out. And um, So I went to Iquitos, and I stayed with the shaman um, in his home. And I wasn't told one thing, not when the ceremony would start, you know, nothing, like no communication about anything safety related or, you know, nothing really, not even what my intention might be. Even though this home was built by um, a researcher that is in the Amazon that's pretty well known, Alan Shoemaker. Um, So this was supposed to be a shaman that I, you know, I felt like I could trust and Anyway, it was just there was a clear lack of communication and education, and it seemed so simple. So that's where this all sort of started for me, um, was there in Iquitos in 2012. And then hearing from the U.S. ambassador that five people had died during the month that I was there. Wow. And this was just before. I'm not sure if it's true. You know, it was hearsay at that point. It was four Frenchmen, he said, and one woman had committed suicide um, so he said, and that was Gerald Moreau, uh, the old U.S. ambassador. He has a, uh, what is it, like a Texas-themed restaurant there in Iquitos. And um, anyway, so from, from there I came back to the graduate school that I went to, the, uh, the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina. And oddly enough, I told my professor and about what had happened and what I'd heard, and he encouraged me to write basically a book on, um, like, a psychedelic guide to uh, ayahuasca therapy. So, um, oddly, I got this push from this military school (laughs) to do this. I would have never tried. I was just diversifying the resume there. (laughs) But, um, so, let's see, once I... Once I got back, uh, we heard about Sean Nolan and his and the death and finding his body there in September. Um, so then it was no longer hearsay in my mind. It was more like, okay, yeah, people are, you know, this is real. We've actually found the evidence. Um, so from there, I did sort of start on the, you know, on the path for a book, but then I was like, I don't know, a year later, late one night, I wrote an email back and I was like, there's no way I can write a book for a military school for my thesis on uh, psychedelic therapy. (laughs) This doesn't make sense. Not realizing that the Citadel is actually where the MDMA therapy sort of kicked off and no one really knows that except for maybe myself and the person involved (laughs) and Rick Doblin and knows. But um, anyway, I've learned a lot along the way. (laughs) Um, 
So yeah, so we then we learned about that, and uh, through the process, what I've been doing is um, digging into the medical aspects of why all the deaths after that that have been reported. Why might someone have um, just trying to delineate the negative effects from ayahuasca? Because I do not feel that it is ayahuasca that is the um, I wouldn't say that it's ayahuasca in and of itself that is causing harm, that it would be something like admixtures to the bruise or to, um, or the intention of the shaman or, um, you know, like having a good shaman, having a good brew. And then also individual differences, metabolism, um, Oh, there's many things, actually, a very long paper <laughs> on every possible thing I could think of, but none of it points to ayahuasca itself. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, pretty pretty, that's pretty intense. I mean, you know, from a, a spiritual standpoint, as far as as far as I'm concerned, there is, you know, there's even spiritual factors in there because the spirits aren't always kind or nice. And then when you throw mm-hmm. in the the physical aspects that could be going on, there's there's a lot to account for. So you bring up a really good, great point. Um, I'm so sorry. I just kind of like steamrolled into all that. And no, that's I, fine. That's, I, I don't mind I feel it like all. I bounced around at the same time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, definitely. I've heard, you know, we don't know everything as Westerners. We're so naive and it's really important to keep in mind that, you know, this is a whole different culture, a whole other completely new paradigm from what we're used to and that is where the problem lies i believe so um so when we go down to the amazon we expect a treatment center to have you know medical personnel and all these things or you that you would have some sort of right if something happened to you but that's not really how that works for westerners and then as someone coming from the amazon like say a traditional shaman and i know this partly through survey research that I conducted, um, where I was surprisingly got back, uh, 17 surveys out of 60, what was it? 64 that I'd sent out 65. And I didn't expect to get any back, but the responses were things like we leave it up to mother ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that makes sense, you know, uh, coming from someone that comes from that culture, um, only when it's a treatment center that's run by, you know, let's say, a white person or someone that's not from that culture, a Westerner, um, is that's whenever I really, I don't know. I feel like they should just know better, <laughs> right. but, um, otherwise, yeah, there's just this huge need for more awareness around, uh, you know, cultural differences and what to expect whenever you go, what to know before you go. And is this really for you? Are you, uh, at the, you know, have you tried everything else that you can try before this? Is it really calling you? Um, and, uh, you know, we bring as Westerners more problems, or not more problems, but just make it more complex. <laughs> Whatever sure. we're coming down, I guess, uh, <laughs> picking language here. But, you know, pharmaceuticals and things that, you know, they're just not used to. And, we, and then tobacco, they use a lot more this this tobacco that's six times stronger than our tobacco that we use and, you know, in different forms. So because tobacco has been one of the only, um, the only reasons that they've come up with for some of the deaths 
then, uh, and it is toxic in high levels, I would say that that's another cultural issue in some way that, you know, maybe there are more, we're not sure yet, and needs to be, we need more research, but, um, but maybe they're more tolerant to this type of tobacco um, and that usage. That makes and sense. Then, yeah, and then there's these individual differences. Like there's whole populations of people that have a, a weakened uh, meta- metabolic pathway for um, for ayahuasca, basically. So uh, they would be a slow metabolizer, and um, they would be more at risk for heart conditions and having an issue. And um, we really don't know how often these sorts of things happen. So, um, so anyway, everything's just sort of uh, theory, you know, in the <laughs> in the research paper of what can happen. And um, but you did bring up an interesting point that I hadn't thought about, and and obviously, you know, it seems obvious in some ways now that you mention it. But that there's some of the people that are going down looking for an ayahuasca ceremony. They they bring with pharmaceuticals and and things that are already in their bloodstream, there are things that are already trapped in their cells that have been there for a while in a lot of cases. And, and how do you know how that's going to react? You really don't. Right. Exactly. So the treatment centers, when I started it in 2012, surveying a bulk of the centers, not all of them at that time, but um, just sort of looking to see if they're You know, if they don't just side with benefits, do they tell you about risks? Do they, you know, the communication, that's what I was trying to figure out. What are people getting before they go? And um, what I've learned along the way is that as I've sent surveys out about, you know, medical, about safety, basically, um, they've sort of, everything's kind of changed in kind. I don't know if that has, maybe it's like a mix of, you know, get, receiving these surveys about these specific things. Do you have a medic and all these things? And so now it seems like the treatment centers are trying to be more westernized to meet those needs and uh, for them to be aware themselves of what they're bringing into their space. Now, um, as the centers get more westernized, does that affect the authenticity of the, the ceremonies and that sort of thing? How does that affect, uh, you know, if you westernize something, we tend right. to you know, package it up and make it as neat and clean as possible, but that, that doesn't, seems to me that that would affect some of the authenticity of it. Mm-hmm. So um, basically what I would say to that is Westerners, it seems, or the people that are, you know, reaching out for help really after they had expected a quick fix, you know, like mm-hmm. we expect society and that's what they're going down for. You know, I would say because the research isn't out there really, um, if I had to guess, I would say loosely half the time people are going down for spiritual reasons and then the other half maybe for, you know, to cure some sort of illness, some disorder, physical or mental um, and so, gosh, where was I going? <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, uh, where were we? <laughs> oh, we were talking a little bit about the, the westernization of the clinics there. Yes, the westernization of the clinics. So basically, um, what I would say is that they are losing, you know, the, the authenticity of the traditional practice just from having spoken to certain shamans that are concerned about losing their culture. Mm -hmm. Um, But 
they're doing it. It seems that the sinners that are doing it, they're doing it, you know, for a cause, for a reason, you know, for, you know, some benefit in return. So they're, they're trying to keep the Westerners safe. Um, it seems, you know, on paper, um, it's gotta be a really difficult juggle. Yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) well, we have a paper coming out, uh, it should be out by the end of the summer in the special issue of, um, anthropology of consciousness, where all of that will be there with all the medical lingo and, you know, all the risks that we can find. And, um, you know, on the Westerner side, coming from that side. Um, but basically just saying that, uh, and then ending with, you know, the, the need for the aftercare project and hoping that we will be able to work with the treatment centers more to, um, I mean, so, so the original question, I'm so sorry, the original question was, you know, is there any risk, um, any risk to the traditional practice maybe with the westernization or to what you could receive from the practice. Um, Westernizing in this sense um, for me is just uh, making things safer um, as far as, you know, who you're accepting into your circle. And then um, from the traditional shamans that I've spoken with who do not uh, cater to Westerners in any way, shape or form um, for money uh, only to share their culture they, um, they, they basically, they're there to just offer a healing space. I lost, I lost my space again. Oh no, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm all over the place. No, I'm that's just all right. You know, and... you'd be, you'd be, you'd be shocked if you listen there... back to some of our other episodes or even conversations oh, between Sarah and myself. We just kind of. <laughs> We go wherever the thought takes us, so it's all right. Mm-hmm. Oh, great, because it's all over the place. <laughs> yeah, you know, we... Basically, just to keep people safe, I don't think that that affects the traditional practice so much as the commercialization of the practice. True. Because oh. to, you know, fight amongst each other, and there's competition, and, you know, be trendy, and um, be the coolest, and, you know, and I think that's really neat that there are groups of shamans that are speaking up to not be a part of that. Yeah, no, so, I really appreciate that. What do you think is, uh, from your, you have a much broader perspective, what would you say the commercialization is doing to the whole process? I mean, is that, is it, because the conversation that you and I had before we, we officially got on air was talking a little bit about the spread of, of the clinics into areas that, and tribes that didn't have them before. You know, when I hear about one opening up in Cusco, I'm thinking, uh, Mountain tradition versus jungle tradition. These things right. don't mix. What is going on here? Well, I, yeah, so I basically, I sort of blame the government there. Mm-hmm. I'm just <laughs> um, sort of like our government in the United States. And, you know, I mean, just on a very small scale in comparison, I think if you've seen the, you know, maybe some of the Peruvian natives um, just even looking into their eyes or, you know, in comparison to, say, like in Colombia and their natives, um, and maybe I'm wrong here. This is just from my experience in traveling, but um, and then knowing that the Colombian government is out there a little bit more and helping to protect their indigenous rights, and um, or they're working on that. Um, but the Peruvian government, or just the government, you know, 
And in Colombia, too, taking away people's land and the same thing like in the United States. So they just have to make a living and they're, you know, they're just like anyone else and uh, smart and <laughs> they're uh, riding that wave. <laughs> no, that makes sense. I mean, they, they, they have to, some of these uh, areas are very impoverished and they have to do mm -hmm. what they have to do. So that, that does make Definitely. a lot of sense. It's really sad. It's very sad. I mean, and I just hope that there are more centers that are um, that are more aware of like culturally conscious and um, environmentally conscious and what they can do with the work that they do and, you know, the presence that they have to be able to actually give back to the community and to have true fulfillment in what they're doing. Um, not saying that you know, because there are so many centers now, there are very good centers. And then there are, in my opinion, some centers that are just, you know, trying to go with the trend and um, just try to get people in and out. And, you know, once they're gone from your center, they're not your concern anymore. So um, not all centers, though. Some centers are working on like a uh, like the Temple of the Way of Light. Um, they've announced that they're working on a continuing care program which is, would be three more months you could have in the Amazon to uh, work with an integrative sort of therapist to um, help integrate those experiences. The issue I have with that is that it's not feasible for most people to spend that amount of time in the Amazon after and not really expected. So, um, Yeah, there's going to be a lot of people that are only able to afford to go down and, and have a short visit and come back. Right. Yeah. So to have, yeah, to have all that information before you go of it, like all that education about, you know, what ayahuasca is, what it does, what it means, what it represents, um, you know, the respect. Um, I, I do fall on the side of, you know, following more traditional guidelines like the dietas and, um, you know, listening to your, you know, basically listening to your elders. Mm. <laughs> The people that, you know, came before you and I don't know, I know there's this, this whole thing with, we culturally appropriate all throughout history, but, um, at this point we are definitely on the naive end of things. <laughs> so I, I would lean in that direction, but, um, yeah, so very important to to be educated about what you're doing and to be then if you decide yes, this is for you to be prepared, to be mentally prepared and you know, how do you let go of fear and you know, trust into the plant and the experience and um then if you do have issues, there there needs to be something in a structure in place for the western psyche because these are the people that are coming down, so it's not to be something that can reach them. Um, and their mindset. So, um, so basically, the aftercare project. Um, we started out as a nationwide advocacy service for ayahuasca seekers, um, and now recently, most recently, we've had uh, therapists reaching out from around the world. So we hope to be multinational. Well, at least not just multinational, but like even more so than those that are reaching out. I'll be reaching out myself. But um, we hope to be able to offer aftercare for anyone that's going down to the Amazon that needs it after um, with a, a special protocol that we're putting together for something that we're calling reintegrative therapy. 
with the experts, the real experts, which would not be myself, but people that have just sort of been the person that's put all the people together that know what to do and just have the passion to do that. That's really exciting. So the people who come back, uh, who can't afford those extra months in the jungle, they'd be able to come back and find uh, supportive therapists and peers and that sort of thing to, to help figure out what exactly they encountered down there and what they experienced and how to reintegrate that into life. Yes. And not only that, but a lot of people are going down for things like PTSD. Mm, yeah, I was going to ask you about that because I, I was going to, because when you mentioned the Citadel, and it made me think that a lot of people are trying to go down there for PTSD problems. So, mm-hmm. so that's a, that's another big thing is we'll be checking with our therapist. We have an awesome, beautiful base of, just not not only our therapists, but our board of advisors, everybody's just, I don't know, they're really compassionate, awesome people. So, um, but we'll be checking in with them to find out if they're, you know, there'll be certain therapists that'll be more okay with just working with people, just integrating that are on a lower level, excuse me, on a higher level of functioning. And then those that are lower level will have um, referrals for those folks also. But in there is also... Um, the 24-hour support system that we'll have online. So once we get up and running, which will hopefully be soon, um, <laughs> once we get our like actually get an Indiegogo campaign going, or <laughs> we decide to use, <laughs> um, all we're really raising money for is for the the uh, the website, which is which needs to be secured for counseling and also for feedback mechanisms so that we can learn as we go and as we grow about the therapy that is being given and then we can learn about the best approach, approaches for what types of individuals. Um, a lot of sense. Anybody yeah. that's interested, uh, keep an eye on, uh, you can find The Aftercare Project on Facebook and their website is theaftercareproject.org. And so I imagine that's a good place to keep an eye out for upcoming Indiegogo campaigns or, or other other items of interest like that paper that you were talking about. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, by the end of the summer for the paper, and then um, I would post my thesis, which was a bulk of the paper, because I had two to three weeks to get together, you know, 10,000 words. <laughs> but, um, but it went together very well. So. <laughs> um, but I guess it's too close, so I can't do that yet. But you can also see um, we just got these beautiful pieces that were uh, donated to us um, from the Arcana Alliance, which is a fair trade uh, group with the Shipibo natives. Um, we have some beautiful tapestries that we'll have for available for donations, as well as these beautiful ayahuasca slicings um, that we're making into sort of like talismans. Is that how you pronounce yeah. that? <laughs> yes, talismans. <laughs> So, um, so we'll have those available also. And, um, yeah, it's a really, it's a, a small campaign, so I haven't put as much focus there, but we're, let's see, a sixth of the way there. <laughs> so 500 out of 3000 and then we'll be up and going. And I, it's been really tough, you know, not having it up and running and then getting, I, I, I'm happy to be there for the people that need support, but then I am not the, you know, the expert in this area. Um, and then, so yeah, it'll be very nice to actually have this up and running where we have people that are trained 
to respond to people in the way that they need to be responded to. And then there, I mean, there are people that are, you know, suicidal, so they need to, so part of our website will definitely be like one of the first things that you see is to call for, you know, crisis prevention. If you, if you're feeling suicidal and then from there, it'll be, you know, tiered that you can talk to someone 24 hours for support, which we're looking at right now, or will be um, NYU grads, uh, site grads. And um, then from there, those graduate students would be, they would have a list um, of all the integrative therapists because it's so stigmatized. We can't just post a list of the names of therapists. So um, what we're looking to do is actually just have the, have the person that they're interacting with find referrals in their area or that would meet their needs and to help make all that happen. Sounds great. What, what do you think, uh, you know, you mentioned suicide in there and even in the, on the aftercare project Facebook page, it says challenging people reintegrating after challenging psychedelic experiences. So, and you did mention before earlier in the interview that, that people go down looking for a quick fix, but how common yeah. is it to get that quick fix? It's probably not very, right. is it? Well, you know, it's so hard, and um, maybe a lot of what I'm saying, there's not a lot of research behind it. Okay, no, that's fair, that's fair to say. Like not a lot of research, so um, so that's another thing is we what we hope the Aftercare Project will do is like continue to hold the space for research to continue, you know, with all the negative media, media reports coming out about, you know, deaths, you know, it's like any death is like, wow, whoa, huge even though they don't happen that often, given the number of people that go down. But um, then there are spaces like the, uh, if you went to the Ayahuasca Aftercare group um, on Facebook, there's that space. It's not um, moderated so well to what I would like, but um, but I do go in there and I help, you know, when I can. And um, the things that I see and what I hear people say, it's just, it can be very disturbing. <laughs> Like, um, I don't know, one guy had just posted about, you know, it's been two years and has anyone else had this experience where he still has not gotten back to himself? And, um, you know, and, it's strange. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't know how much you'll agree with me or not, but um, it, it's funny from my standpoint or where I'm sitting, the uh, challenge is there's definitely a psychological component to it but in, in my headspace and the, the way I'm coming from with my shamanic approach it seems to me that there's probably a lot of spiritual reintegration that's not happening as well like even if you do a take another mm -hmm. popular shamanic example is a soul retrieval a lot of people don't go through that. a lot of times that's a long and trying process to uh reintegrate that part of your soul with your with the rest of your life and uh, ayahuasca it seems to me can't be any different than that mm -hmm. so yeah that's the whole thing thank you for helping guide me <laughs> from all over the place but yeah that is the whole thing is anything takes work if you're you know like you can't just expect this magic fix that's the basis of this whole thing like before you even go you need to start work you know on your like what is it that you're trying to address get your intention in place and you know the make sure that you're you're in the right headspace and um 
you know, something that you're willing to to do, like you're really, you're all in mm-hmm. and you're disciplined enough to do something that you should go down. Like there are some treatment centers that say, you know, you don't have to follow diets or do certain things and that's fine for them and their business model. But for the individual, they need to decide, right. you know, is this, uh, is this worth it even or is this, I don't know. Seems like, uh, I don't know, a pretty, what did it, Terrence McKenna said on this podcast I was just listening to, actually, was it a podcast? No, it was just something on YouTube, but <laughs> um, where he was just saying there's a difference between the uh, travelers, there are warriors, and then there are adventurers, and I think that that's what we're encountering um, in a lot of cases, but then there are also people that are warriors that are going down, and they're not, um, they're just not kind of like maybe like the pharmaceutical companies and how they they'll say like oh you have depression we have this antidepressant um you can take it and, and fine print you know it could cause you to have suicidal thoughts so it'll be nice to be able to like have some of that more upfront rather than you know just in the footnotes yeah that, would be, that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense and especially even you know you were talking about uh the research isn't really there. The, the tracking isn't really there. It'd be really interesting to know in a, in a quantifiable way how many people, were they going through the process of, of understanding the culture and the experience before they went down? Were they doing the work before they went down? Did they do the work after they got back? What exactly did they do? Was it just therapy? Was it shamanic plus therapy? And what were the results? It would be really nice to know because that would give you a better baseline for how to advise people to go forward with it. Exactly. So that's how we see um, the aftercare project is going to be a continuing project, you know, researching the best methods and learning from people as they come back. And we do hope to work with treatment centers. We hope that they'll be open to you know, advising their clients, you know, about the aftercare project that we're available and, you know, before, you know, before you go and after and um, so that we can collect this information and learn more about how to make this practice, you know, as safe as possible because it's here and it's not going anywhere and it does help some people. So, you know, I I don't think that it definitely has a lot of potential for therapy. It's just, um, it's coming in a brand new context. So, yeah, like you said, there's not, and like we said, yes, there's not it, enough research. It's funny, as you as you talk about this, or as we talk about this together, I find myself interested in going down to South America myself and, and learning more about it, not to practice the ayahuasca myself or to, to necessarily receive it, although I, I would be possible if I was down there, but to understand shamanically what they do for aftercare down there in that way there would be practitioners that could understand those traditions in the United States for the aftercare. That, that seems very interesting. Yeah. Do you, th- I, I wonder, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm very naive to this. So I wonder if you have any knowledge of any shamans that actually provide something like this, because my understanding so far has been that um, besides Takawasi, which is an amazing, they have an amazing treatment center model. Um, <laughs> something like nine months, and if you leave, you can't come back. Wow. So, but beyond wow. that, I mean, it's mostly, yeah, he's pretty awesome, Dr. Mavit, um, and he's doing his own research, which I really appreciate, and um, mostly for addiction treatment. 
So um, I, I actually do not know of any practitioners here in the United States that practice any sort of aftercare, especially as it would relate to to ceremonies or cleansings or anything like that. I I'm really interested in seeing what could be done with that. That would be really fascinating too, because it seems to me that that would be a huge component. If I might not have access to the, the jungle or the same herbs or anything else, but if I can call on the same spirits in the same way and use some of the similar ceremonies with the blessings of the shaman that are down there, then I'm curious of how that would affect the reintegration process here in the Estates. It also seems to me that uh, one of the things we, we could look at is um, establishing contacts between different shamans and different uh, spiritual specialists between here in North America and down there in South and Central, um, simply because this is a phenomena that's spreading. And my worry is that we're going to be inundated here in a couple of years with mm -hmm. people who are half put back together. Right. Yeah, I'm really right. curious. I didn't ever think of this of, you know, that there was any aftercare in the shamanic space because of the model of the treatment centers that I've been looking at where people just go right back home. And I, in my experience with, I did stay with one Colombian shaman recently to find a more ethically minded shaman in my mind, anyway, mm. <laughs> um, to find someone to, uh, refer others to it turned out very beautiful but there was no real aftercare it was more of an inner uh reflection period that he was very strict on and um just meditation and just lots of positive energy but there was no um so i'm not sure i would love to learn more about what if there is an aftercare sort of project you know process there and because I'm not right. sure if the if traditionally if it was ever used in this way. Well, in in some ways, you know, if you're coming from the traditional culture, if you're coming from the local tribe, then aftercare was uh, not needed. Um, how do I want to say this? It was not seen as a separate event or a separate step because you exactly. were in that village, you were in that culture. So if you needed that shaman or another mm -hmm. one again, it was all right there. That was part of the life of that culture. And so the the challenge is trying to understand and, and come up with a format that, that is aftercare because it wasn't needed when you're embedded in that culture. Right, when you have an actual community that looks out for you exactly. and you're actually in touch with other people. That's what I feel from these people that are reaching out. They seem so lonely. Like they just don't have their, and they like the social worker that really sparked the aftercare project because he found me through other research um, with the Ethnobotanical Stewardship Council um, before they were bullied off, <laughs> um, in my opinion. And which I would definitely uh, fight for. But um, so uh, in that research, this social worker found me at my place of work and uh, he looked a mess and I, I wasn't open. And I worked at this little brew pub, you know, part time. And um, so I opened the door and he came in and his expression was that, I mean, he had gone to one of the most 
well-known ayahuasca treatment centers and one that looks so well on paper. Um, but he came back, he went for social anxiety and he came back saying that he had no one to talk to and that it was worse than before he left. And this is the same center that, you know, or one of, I don't want to give away names. Gosh. Anyway, this center was um, given a 2015 safety award the same year that he was there. And I had asked and probed and asked more questions. He wasn't interested in, you know, saying anything about the center. I just was curious. And he said even the medics were on ayahuasca. And so it's interesting that they would have medics, but then they would not be available, really. And oh, wow. Um, then, yeah, that they charge so much. But then they're also asking for gifts and tips. But then there was this... Um, spat between the uh, indigenous people that were there uh, working for the center um, because the gifts were stolen overnight. Um, anyway, so it was that. And then um, so discrepancies and what, you know, you think the center is doing. And then right. sometimes just, you know, at least questions. And, um, yeah, and this is hearsay again, but something that I, and it's hard for me not to believe, but um Anyway, so he would be a great candidate for continuing care program that he has not been reached out to for. And um, and I've kept up with him, and he's still not doing well. So before, um, you know, before I get to my next question, I'm just going to go ahead and throw it out there. The traditions I follow are more are the mountain traditions. But if, if you, Raven, ever run into somebody, a shaman, that would be willing to have those conversations with me to figure out how I could assist people here in the States that are reintegrating, I'd be open to yeah, that conversation. Yeah. So that is a great, that was a beautiful question because I, uh, yeah, I'm very curious myself too. I think it might have a lot to do with community, like maybe with the, you know, with the research, um, showing that uh, depression and the, the UDB church, uh, now do vegetal, um, in this church that, you know, is pretty non-existent and long-term users. Um, that, you know, it's hard to separate. Is that, you know, part of the community or is it, you know, the ayahuasca itself or, you know, but it's probably a lot to do with the support that you have around you um, and the culture. I would think so, because it seems to me that like on some of the shamanic uh, chat groups and, and things that you'll find, the people that have had an ayahuasca experience are still, um, they have a very spiritual life now and so the integration i suspect on a spiritual level was probably a little bit easier for them the people that don't have that sort of background or calling because not everybody's called to be a shaman they might be having a lot more difficulty that is interesting i definitely went down myself with spiritual um i had a beautiful experience my first time i just the only thing was i just noticed that there was no communication (laughs) about safety you know but i had done my research before i left and uh, it was very spiritual, definitely, and I, I had a wonderful experience, and I didn't feel any need to do it again. I did do it again many times, but I, um, yeah, just that one time was so impactful for me, and I, but then there were people around me who did not have good experiences, so, um, but not bad, like, not so negative as the people that are reaching out. Um, right. So let me ask, get to my question, because I'd be remiss if I let the whole time go by and I didn't ask the question. How? No, no, it's great. I, I, I'm thoroughly enjoying this conversation. But I, if you had some pointers for people on 
on how to find a, a, a better clinic. And there might even be a sub-question in there about which mm. clinics are better medically for people who are looking for like PTSD or which ones uh, for people who are looking for a spiritual experience. Is there a difference between the two? And how would you find those? Well, I think, uh, you know, psychologically, I would just look for the sinner's motivations. What do you think their motivations are? Um, you would look at things like, you know, who runs the center? How much are they charging? Is it because then there's monetary motivations for sure. Um, but of course, people have to make a living. And then, uh, you know, maybe some of that money actually goes back to the community in some way. This is really hard to vet out, um, you know, with like Peruvian NGOs or, um, you know, nonprofits in general, actually, if you look at like the American Cancer Society. Right. But, yeah. um, <laughs> So I just, and then, you know, speaking with, uh, I'm not sure about, you know, the open mind trips or I advisor, I have no idea. I would just say to speak to people in forums and try to get their feedback. Um, reach out to me. Uh, you can always reach out to me. It's rray at citadel.edu. And I'm very happy to try to answer any questions, but motivations, just always try to look for motivations if they seem uh, if you're looking for a spiritual experience, look for someone that seems more spiritually inclined. Maybe they have like a, uh, what is it, like a sliding scale sort of system. I've seen those. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's also, then um, there's also, if you're looking for someone, uh, if you're looking for something for a medical disorder, then you would want to definitely ask the center if they've dealt with that disorder before. And if they have dealt with the disorder before, then they should respond accordingly. Like say you have bipolar and you want help with bipolar, then they should be appropriately concerned that you have bipolar. If they do not seem to be, then that's probably not the right center for you. Yeah, that makes sense. Because there's such a wide variety that people could be going down seeking treatment. So many. Or and because people don't know, because it, it's one of those things I found that when I, I'm listening to people, it's always that they've heard that ayahuasca might be good for X, Y, or Z. And when I ask the follow-up question of where do you hear that from, there's never ever a solid answer, which always kind of surprises me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> for the most intense psychedelic known to man. <laughs> right, exactly. exactly. And like that. Social worker, he had never done a psychedelic before, so this was particularly <laughs> intense for him, I'm sure. <laughs> now, would it help you think finding the right center if people understood a little bit more about the culture and are there ways to go about oh, that? Sure. Definitely. So um, that's the whole idea that I, you know, it seems so simple when I was there in 2012, just communication and education, just um, and then creating a space where you know, everything's in one place, a one-stop shop, you know, so that's why we want to make the aftercare project, education, preparation, and aftercare, the integration. So, um, so yeah, we want people to, this is definitely something you, you don't take lightly. Um, <laughs> if you've seen, you know, that Nat Geo episode that I saw before I went, you know, it's pretty, pretty intense stuff. It's nothing, I don't know, it's not for fun. It's not for adventure. No, it's more, <laughs> uh, 
uh, you don't really know what you're entering. I mean, uh, coming from the Western culture, it's very hard for me to delve into the cosmology of the Amazon because I don't understand this, you know. But then again, I don't want to mess around with it either because I know that I don't understand something. So, um, yeah, just taking every precaution that you can because don't take anything lightly. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. You know, it's strange because the cosmology of it, you know, there's certain spirits that are always are, are very common with an ayahuasca experience from everything that I've, I've read. There's certain ones, but it's it, it it strikes me that if you don't even have any sort of attempt of understanding the culture, you know, you don't have to understand the entire <laughs> cosmology. But if you don't even understand the culture, it might make it really hard to sort out some of the significant things you might see with an ayahuasca experience, you might not know why something's so important and it might not seem important to you at all. You might dismiss it right away. That's a very, that's a challenge in its own right. Right. There's that. And then you just reminded me of the fact that if we're not aware of the culture, then maybe we wouldn't be aware of, you know, the, you know, the power struggles amongst the shamans and, um, you know, the sorcery and, you know, the bad things that can happen when you're mm -hmm. there, too. Uh, Fair the point. Reports of sexual, yeah. Yeah, you know, that's that's a really fair point, because that is something that is not uh, <laughs> talked about very much here in the in the United States, even. No, not at all. A, a lot of the shamanic forums and groups and that sort of thing, they'll talk about, you know, there's a, there's a very much a all love and light sort of thing, but you tend to forget that your village of shaman was the village next to you's witch in a lot of cases there was competition there was uh, there was you know and if money is a resource that's coming into this uh, practice because uh, the people have need and they want those needs fulfilled like anybody else then yes there's going right. to be those competitions those those fights and battles on a, on a spiritual level and just you know physical sabotage and that sort of thing those are all things that can come into play and, uh, I mean, good witches and bad witches. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you know, exactly. Just like humans. <laughs> like anyone. And just to, that, that way there's no, like, guru effect. Like, with this uh, Colombian shaman that I most recently visited in uh, the Putumaya region. Um, gosh, very beautiful. 80-year-old man. Um, the first thing he's telling me on this four-and-a-half-hour trip up to his land, um, he's saying that he's not a guru, don't look to him as a guru, and that he's simply channeling the energy. And I so appreciated that because, you know, I had heard so much about bad things that had happened to so many other people, and um, I thought that was amazing that that was one of the first things that he brought up. So I would say he was one of the good witches in yeah. the best of the world. <laughs> Do you have a sense, I mean, you've done a lot of the surveys and that sort of thing, what are the most common uh, things that people are turning to ayahuasca for dealing with? Is it just, is it still PTSD at this point in time or are there other things that are kind of taking the forefront? Honestly, to be very honest, I know I said about 50, 50 earlier, but it does seem like the type of people that are reaching out, they're not, they're not all necessarily saying what they went down for, but my feeling is that it was something existential. Like maybe my reason for going down, like, just existential anxiety, which would be something spiritual in nature. Well, that's uh, actually that's actually kind of good to know. That actually makes me 
because I was my concern, of course, was with all the struggles and warfare and and the disservice that our country does to its veterans. I was I was actually finding myself kind of concerned that there was going to be these massive flocks going down to deal with PTSD problems and. You know, that's not to say that those problems don't exist, but I, I'm, I'm hopeful that there's not so much desperation that that's resulting in massive waves going down there for that problem. So that's that's a good thing to know. If, in some if we do find that being a problem, I think it's incumbent upon our spiritual specialists to step up. Yeah. Um, and that does worry me quite a bit because uh, PTSD and other mental illnesses have such stigma in this country that a mm-hmm. lot of people, even if they have got the resources available, won't go for a diagnosis because it, it in some cases, it mars it, it will literally mar your record, to, and a lot of people's view as far as jobs. That's yeah, no, true. That's There's so point. much stigma around everything that we're discussing here. Actually, like in so many, so many ways. You know, the people that are coming back, they can't say that they went down and did the psychedelic. And then, you know, um, just even saying that you're going down to get this treatment that no one, you know, you just sound crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's true. They, they, Even the people that are responding to the surveys and such, they might not be totally honest upon some of those reasons. It could be a lot larger. and it'd be Because of the stigma, it'd be hard to know. Right, yeah. Well, to be clear, the surveys that I sent were to the treatment, to the treatment, treatment centers True. themselves. But yeah, so the the other survey, I guess, would just be of the coming to myself, the personal correspondences, and then the people that I see on uh, the forums, and you know what they're expressing. Mm-hmm. So, so it's basically it does sound like it's something. Uh, it is deeper. It's much deeper. I don't know. If you think about it, I guess it's like, and then traditionally, maybe you could help me here, but traditionally the shaman would be the one to take the brew and then he would diagnose and cure the illness <laughs> with the plants that he saw or. Yeah, that, uh, that would be far more common. The, the, so, I mean, not, not universal by any means, right. but, but it would be very common that, um, you know, the, the purpose of the shaman is to to do the healing and to seek out the vision for what is ailing you. And so, um, yeah, less common for the person to take the medicine than it would be for the shaman. Yeah. And if you're going to go all the way down to the Amazon to take this brew and maybe you've never done a psychedelic before, then maybe, you know, maybe that does point to something bigger than, you know, wanting to cure PTSD or depression, but getting the bigger picture. Yeah, very much. It does. It does, however, bring up the you know back uh, circle us back to the previous conversation because if you are uh, uh, using the ayahuasca and you don't want those doors opened, and I mean, because all of a sudden, let's go from the example on a spiritual standpoint. If you all of a sudden have voices talking to you nonstop, if you come back to the United States, the medical profession is going to really be upset where an indigenous standpoint might be, oh, yeah, you've opened the door to the spirits. They're talking to you now. And that's a strange thing to try to reconcile when you're trying to hold down a job or whatever. That's a... There's also not the shamanic uh, evaluation for, is this a an actual spiritual experience or is this mental illness? Because um, 
a lot of my um, little bits of, of research into anthropology and, and different um, – it was an interest of mine when I was going for my psych degree. And so one of the things that's noted in at least some of the anthropological texts, especially lately, is that, oh, hey, they actually do differentiate between the spirits talking to you and mental illness. Mm-hmm. But their way of treating it is so radically different. Exactly. In both cases. And that that enhanced use is amazing, powerful entheogen. And people are clearly abusing it in some cases. So what's our response? And at what levels do we respond? Mm-hmm. That's That's really a challenge because... You can't kill the, this tourist industry now that it's up and running full steam. So what do you do mm-hmm. to mitigate damage? And I mean, maybe there, maybe there will be. I think that there will be positives. Yeah, mitigating the damage exactly, harm reduction, and um, that was a really interesting thing you just said about evaluating mental illness and that they're actually they do have methods of doing that, and I, I. I do plan to actually ask that last shaman I spoke of about that. I think because he seemed most traditional, everything that he spoke of, <laughs> like every question I asked, that was so very probing. <laughs> yeah, it'd be really interesting to hear what his answers are. <laughs> yeah, because he's extremely traditional, <laughs> like extremely strict, and you know, only five people in ceremony. Because why? Because I don't know what people's intentions are. I don't want them bringing negative energy in. We're entering this other world. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah. He sounds fascinating. Yeah, he sounds fabulous. <laughs> well, he is. We're, we're actually, uh, we're planning a documentary. I'm so excited to, uh, just a short documentary, just to, to film just him speaking and to capture. It'll be so easy to capture that charisma and all that beautiful energy on film. Um, that'll be, uh, we'll be going down in March of next year. And, um, we hope that any funds that we get back from that, we can actually work on some sort of permaculture project or some way that he can actually, well, what he expressed was that his culture is dying and that is why he'd like to share his culture with Westerners now (laughs) and not for money, but, you know, only charging for gas for his boat. Right, and doing yeah. it on doing it on his terms instead of exactly, exactly, and I it's it's beautiful. I was nervous, you know, leaving and not knowing where I was going. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna be doing, and I'm staying out there for we we stayed for five days. That's it. But next time, much longer because there were just such beautiful people. They were so happy, and but the issue is that you see juxtaposed right right next to his land is there's a little uh little village that you know they're what westernized or they're not sustainable how about that they're um they're part of a system of they don't have the land that they have maybe is i don't know whatever it is they're they're losing their knowledge and um and i think it would be really cool to go down and capture this on film before it is lost i don't see him dying any anytime soon even though he's 80 he's stronger than anyone You know, it's just crazy. It's like not lazy at all. We were so tired and he was just going and going and going. But um, so, yeah, capture that on film and then any any funds that come back. We have a, an awesome friend that just wants to do it just for fun. So and this is what he does is, you know, 
documentaries and filming. So, um, so we're hoping to be able to help out there. And the aftercare project, I, I hope in the future, you know, if we do ever, it's never going to be something where, like the American Cancer Society, where someone's making, a, you know, making a living off of it. That's not how I see it at all. So um, what I see is, you know, giving back. If there's any opportunity, like if we were able to get donations enough, then I wanted to be beyond, you know, helping the white people. But I want to go back to, you know, circle back around and then round table and figure out what is the best way to help, you know, the people who are most interested and, in, you know, like this shaman and uh, carry on their traditional culture. I want to help them to be able to do that. Um, all he has is his grandson that he's counting on to to carry it on. And little six-year-old Pedro, who is awesome and charismatic and sweet and loves showing off the plants. But he's, uh, who knows what he'll end up doing. So um, it would be really nice to at least be able to, if they can't carry it on the way that they have been, if this is what this man wants, then it would be really nice to be able to contribute and um to his sharing his knowledge as an instructor in some way, maybe not traditionally like 18 years of training like himself, but um, some way for the villages around to know their medicines and to know, you know, to not forget these things, I guess. That's really important. Uh, well, believe it or not, we have gone through an entire hour. So with our guest today <laughs> from the aftercare project, which is uh, Raven Renee, all those R's, Raven or Nay Ray. <laughs> That's right. You know, and I should know that. My daughter's name is Raven, so I should have been able to remember it easier. But Raven Renee Ray and the Aftercare Project. Uh, it's theaftercareproject.org, or you can find them on Facebook at The Aftercare Project. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, Ray. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much.